Well, turn, let's turn to the scriptures once again, this time to 2 Samuel and uh, chapter 6. 2 Samuel and chapter 6. I was saying uh, to the congregation this morning that the message I preached this morning felt like uh, the five loaves and two fishes to be broken up and used amongst 5,000 and this evening to be such a, a great banquet uh, that it's difficult to know what not to bring forth. So um, we seek to cover the issue here. Um, maybe we'll come back to it and there are other aspects and there are things that could be said. Uh, there's just a, a great abundance of material and this just only the first six uh, verse seven verses so uh, let's read together this portion of scripture again david gathered together all the chosen men of israel thirty thousand david arose and went with all the people that were with him from baali of judah to bring up from thence the ark of god whose name is called by the name of the lord of hosts that dwelleth between the cherubim And they set the ark of God upon a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab that was in Gibeah. And Atza and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, drave the new cart. And they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was at Gibeah, accompanying the ark of God. And Ahio went before the ark. And David and all the house of Israel played before the Lord on all manner of instruments made of fir wood even on harps and on psalteries and on timbrels and on cornets and on cymbals. And when they came to Nahon's threshing floor, Atza put forth his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen shook it. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Atza, and God smote him there for his error. And there he died by the ark of God. And David was displeased because the Lord had made a breach upon Atza, and he called the name of the place Peretz Atza to this day. And David was afraid of the Lord that day, and said, How shall the ark of the Lord come to me? So David would not remove the ark of the Lord unto him into the city, but David carried it aside into the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. And the ark of the Lord continued in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, three months And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. And it was told King David, saying, The Lord hath blessed the house of Obed-Edom, and all that pertaineth unto him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom into the city of David with gladness. And it was so that when they bear the ark of the Lord, uh, when they that bear the ark of the Lord had gone six paces, he sacrificed oxen and fatlings. And David danced before the Lord with all his might, and David was girded with a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. And as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michal, Saul's daughter, looked through a window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. And they brought in the ark of the Lord and set it in his place in the midst of the tabernacle that David had pitched for it. David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And as soon as David had made an end of offering burnt offerings and peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts. And he dealt among all the people, even among the whole multitude of Israel, as well as to the women as men, to every one a cake of bread and a good piece of flesh and a flagon of wine. So all the people departed, every one 
to his house. Amen. We'll leave the reading just there and we give thanks for this joyous account which is given to us, uh, tinged with a great sadness. Let's pray. Our Father, we ask that thou wast be with us this evening once again. And as we look into the scriptures of truth, that we might see there uh, the glory of God, the might, the excellency of thy name. And Lord, we pray that thou would so touch our hearts that we might recognize that the God of heaven is not such an one as we are, but he is the creator of all, that he is the sovereign God, that he, O Lord, is to be reverenced at all times. And Lord, we pray that thou wouldst help us even this day to take this to heart, that we might give thee all the glory and the preeminence. Lord, that we might recognize ourselves for what we are, if we are thine, saved by thy sovereign grace. Lord, given so much mercy, and Lord, we pray that even as those saved sinners, that we might walk in the grace of God, and that we might do all to the glory of God. Hear our prayer, we ask thee, and continue with us this evening in our meditation upon this portion of Scripture uh, for a short time tonight. And Lord, we pray that if it be needful, that we might come back to see other things even in this short portion of Scripture. But Lord, we pray that those things that we look at tonight might touch our hearts. Oh Lord, how we need to be touched in these days by the fear of the Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So I want to consider with you these first seven verses. I've entitled the message, An Ill-Considered Removal. An Ill-Considered Removal. And of course, the, the great shock which uh, arises here is the death of Uzzah or Atza, um, and uh, this man who seemed to be doing a work for God, who the Lord struck down, and we will come eventually to him. Uh, but first of all, I want to consider with you the, the whole of what is going on here in these first seven verses. We're really uh, going to go from the second verse. The first verse, I think, is more to do with the chapter before. Of course, again, once again, the, the translators decided where they would split the chapters, the chapters in the original, uh, and they decided that they would begin it with again. But I wonder if it's at the end, because we see these things in chapter 5, and we've considered them, so we're not going into them tonight. But first of all, the coronation of David. Uh, the, and this was a, a, a powerful salvation. Uh, I've neglected to, I usually give you my head in, so I'll do that just first of all. Uh, this satisfying religion, a selfish recklessness, and thirdly, a shocking rebuke. And under this satisfying religion, first of all, the powerful salvation. And here is a, a powerful salvation. David has been crowned. And when we consider David's life, uh, the fact that he was uh, uh, a neglected and overlooked shepherd boy out on the hillside, uh, that he was selected of God and had to be brought in and even asked uh, and inquired of whether there be any more sons uh, of Jesse, that he should come in and he would be the one and he would be anointed, that he should be the one who fought against Goliath and then should be recognized by the king, that he should be the one who would come into the palace and begin to learn the things which go on in the politics of the palace that he should be then uh, cast out and hunted like a wild animal, uh, that he should come through all of these things and that he eventually should indeed, as the Lord had given to him, became king. 
a powerful salvation. When we consider ourselves, even, uh, we, we may not equate ourselves with King David, but there are similarities, aren't there, that, that God chooses random people, it seems, out of this world, obscure people. Some, some, uh, many of the people whom the Lord has called to himself are people most unlikely uh, to be saved. Uh, people from all walks of life, people from all depths of sin, and in all situations that God calls to be his people. He searches us out, and he calls us, and he keeps us, and he sanctifies us, and even all of our foolishness and all of our dangers, he doesn't forsake us, and he will bring us eventually to that great day of crowning, so to speak, when we stand in the presence of God. A powerful salvation. But then also in this powerful salvation, we found in the fifth chapter that David went up to take the castle of Zion and Jerusalem. And so once again, we see David's conquest and that the Lord was with him. You remember the, the, the men, the, the um, Jebusites who said, well, you, you, you couldn't even defi- defeat the, the blind and the lame to take this place. And David took it. The Lord was with him. And he defeated them. And the Lord, once again, had given him the victory. A wonderful picture, again, of the child of God, I would suggest, that the Lord does give us victory over sins. He gives us victory over obstacles. Even the, the castles, if you like, of our heart. Those strongholds, those weaknesses that we have, those sins which do so easily beset us. We, we continue, we fight on, and we will overcome by the grace of God. And then we also saw uh, David's uh, captain, that the Lord was his captain, when the Philistines came to fight against him. And this is the third thing, of course. So there is his crowning and his, his um, taking, the capturing of the fort of Zion, and now there is this great conquest of the Philistines, and David. David inquires of the Lord uh, on two occasions. He says, shall I go up against them? And the Lord says, you are to go up against them and you will defeat them. And then again, should I go up against them? The Lord says, no, don't go up against them, go up behind them. And when you hear the sound of a going in the mulberry trees, then you can come out and fight against them and I will be with you. It's a powerful salvation. God is with David. There is this might, this great deliverance. And David, it seems, feels as if he is undefeatable. That he is a man who is so under the blessing of God that whatsoever he attempts and whatsoever he desires will be done. He's very satisfied in his life at this time. He has gone up to Jerusalem He has come from that shepherd boy on the hillside to the king. And with a multitude gathered around him, 30,000 chosen men, chapter 6 and verse 1. And indeed, all the people, uh, no doubt not every single person of Israel, but I would suggest maybe the elders of Israel uh, who went with him at that time to bring up the ark of God. A satisfying religion. We can have uh, and we can recognize a satisfying religion. And there are many in this country who profess Christianity and are satisfied with their religion. But you see, a religion can be just a religion. Often they talk in these days about organized religion. What do they mean by religion? 
What is religion? Well, religion is used in different ways, isn't it? Uh, sometimes it's used about uh, somebody cleaning their teeth religiously or uh, polishing their shoes every evening religiously. It is something which is done. It is something which has become a habit. It is something which uh, they delight to do. And so uh, this, this idea of a religion, usually it, it is uh, given as something where there is a deity involved, but not necessarily. I would suggest that there are those who, being atheists, are also religious about their atheism. And they would deny it and say, well, it's not a religion, it's just a, a negation. We don't believe that there is a God. But they constantly strive against everybody who does believe in God. And we find many things which are written, particularly online in these days, against Christianity. Questioning this, questioning that, uh, trying to bring contradictions from the scripture which they never actually do because there are none but uh, they seek to set one text over against another and of course they haven't looked at them properly because that's their desire to find some uh, error that they might bring before us but it's a powerful salvation that we have and there there are many who call themselves christians who gather into churches and they look at the 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 great things which have been done in time past and great things which are still being done no doubt there are soup kitchens and there are uh, those places where people go when they've they, they've no food and they get food parcels. Uh, there's care for people in the community. There's all kinds of things going on within the church. And people are, are pleased about these things and they're thankful. And I've shown you my displeasure in the past of uh, sometimes on things like songs of praise. And they talk to people who uh, profess Christianity and they don't talk to them about God but they talk to them about their faith. And they say, how has your faith helped you? Well, if they are Christians, it's not their faith that's helped them. It is God who's helped them. It is God who has saved them. Now, we may be saved by faith, but it's just an agency. It's just by which we are saved. It is God who saves us. It is not faith that saves us. It is God that saves us. It is Christ that saves us. So here is a powerful salvation. David is, is buoyed up and, and ready to go. The next thing we can say is that here, as he goes down to pick up the ark of God, he is so filled with joy and the people with him that they make great uh, uh, noise about it. There's a passionate song here. Now we read in verse 2, and David arose and went with him all the people that were with him from Baal of Judah, uh, to bring up from thence the ark of God. So here is a great congregation, all of Israel, uh, gathered together, uh, representatives anyway. I don't suppose every last uh, man, woman, and child of Israel was there. That would have been a huge amount of people just to go and get a small box. Uh, but nevertheless, there is a representation given here. So there's a congregation. A congregation has gathered. And here we find that they bring a great song. And they are singing. They are singing to the glory of God. Verse 5. And David and all the house of Israel played before the Lord on all manner of instruments made of firwood, even on harps and on psalteries and on timbrels and on cornets and on cymbals. Here is this great clamor which is going, this great rejoicing, uh, this great uh, excitement of going down to get the ark of God and bring it up to them. A passionate song. A concert, perhaps. Surely there needs to be some kind of, if we use the word as a, uh, as a, 
collection of instruments. They need, they need to be played in concert. Otherwise, there's a cacophony. Uh, if there was just sounds, uh, we might uh, think of a, a music class in school where all the children are given the instruments they've never held before in their life and they're all playing them together. Uh, that was what we would get. So presumably there was some kind of a practice. Presumably it was something uh, which the, the, the um, musicians which were among them could play together. And here was this, this concert which had been practiced it was orchestral and the people could join in and they could sing to the praise of God and these things they they all tend toward uh, a a collective of people you know we we see it in football matches as as the crowd begin to pick up a song and they begin to sing together my son's always telling me about the great songs that Arsenal supporters sing and then he uh, mocks me because I'm a Chelsea supporter. And he said Chelsea's only got a couple of songs. And uh, they pretty much just Chelsea, Chelsea, Chelsea. And another one he, he, he talks about. Uh, but Arsenal got lots of songs. And uh, Liverpool, I suppose, has lots of songs. And what a, what a great feeling of elation it is when you're in this huge crowd of people. And they're all singing together. And this great voice all coming out from one side of the crowd. It lifts the footballers sometimes so that they play the better. Uh, and they get more and more excited. And we see this in this day and age, don't we? We see large churches and a, and a band at the front and the people singing and their hands waving in the air uh, and their voices joining in with others. There can be a great excitement. But is it spiritual or is it merely carnal? Is there a difference between meeting in the church and singing all the old songs and mostly the new songs in these days and going to a football match and singing all the old songs, or sometimes, occasionally, a new song which might spring up amongst them. It was a passionate song that was there. They were excited to go down to get the Ark of God, and there was a celebration. There was an elation amongst them, an excitement. And the people were all taken up with the occasion. But was there any thought given to the Lord? himself that's the question that we're trying to get at here because it ends with the death of a man and that really puts the uh, the dampness doesn't it upon the whole thing and david from going from this great elation and great joy to bring up the the ark of god was displeased and he was afraid of the lord that day verse 9 and said how shall the ark of the lord come to me God is not with me. God, it seems, is against me. And all of that excitement dissipates in a moment. And there's a great sadness which comes upon the people. And we have to be careful, don't we, as we worship God, that we remember who God is. And I think, and I suggest to you, that it's something which has been forgotten in this day and age. That there are great congregations still who meet together and they speak about Jesus and all that Jesus has done and they get excited together. But where is the reverence? Where is the fear of the Lord? Where is that bowing before him? Where is that acknowledgement of the glory of God and his requirements of us? Where is the seeing of the creator the mighty judge 
the one who is able to take a life in a moment. We remember another passionate song that was sung before the Lord. We find it in Exodus in chapter 32. Moses and Joshua come down from the mountain. And Joshua says, I hear the sound of a battle. And Moses says, this is not the sound of a battle. He said, it is not the voice of them that shout for mastery. Neither is it the voice of them that cry for being overcome. But the noise of them that sing do I hear. And remember that the people, although they had had Aaron to build and to make a golden calf to set in their midst, after that golden calf had been formed and had been set up in their midst, Aaron declared a feast. And if you read the scripture, you'll see that he declared a feast to Jehovah, a feast to the Lord. And so there was an idol in their midst, which God had forbidden, and yet they were seeking to bring together a feast unto the Lord and a rejoicing before the Lord. Now, I want to suggest that that is what is going on here. That what is happening is they have made the ark of God into an idol. The ark of God has become something by itself. The fact that they can go down now and bring the ark and bring it up to Jerusalem, to the house that David has prepared for it. What was it that the children of Israel said to Aaron? Was it not this? Up, make us gods that will go before us. Make us gods that will go before us. We want a God that we can pick up and carry. We have stayed at this mountain. Moses has been gone for six weeks. We don't know what's happened to him. And God hasn't said for us to move, but we want to move. So make us a God and we can pick him up and carry, us, carry him with us. And something similar is going on here. That God has been forgotten in the elation of the deliverances which are surrounding the people here. They are going down now and they are taking control and they will bring the ark and they will move the ark and they'll bring it up to Jerusalem and then it will be in the right place and then they can get on with their lives. And there's a great excitement amongst them. This passionate song. Oh, be careful that you don't get carried up in the moment. Make sure that your worship of the Lord is actually a worship. The Lord Jesus said, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Singing songs, I would suggest, may be a form of praise, but is it worship unless we are truly before the Lord? I've always maintained that the, the greatest worship really is the reading of the scripture and prayer, where we humble ourselves in the, middle, in the, in the presence of God. And you find a lot, among a lot of Christians who may even be at church and all the meetings that they can get to when it comes to their own home life and their reading of the scripture and their time of prayer in the presence of God, it is severely lacking. We need a communion with the Lord and that is signally absent here. When David was attacked by the Philistines, we read in verse 19, David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up to the Philistines? And then when the Philistines attacked the second time in verse 23, and when David inquired of the Lord, he said, Thou shalt not go up. But when we come to this chapter 6, and he goes down to get the ark of God, there is no inquiry of the Lord. 
So we see here this powerful salvation, a passionate song, and a present service. You see, the ark is, is a symbol of, the God, of God's presence. It tells us here in these very words, in verse, uh, verse 2. David arose and went up with all the people that were with him from Bale of Judah to bring up from thence the ark of God, whose name is called by the name of Jehovah of hosts that dwelleth between the cherubim, whose name the ark of God, whose name is called by the name of the Lord of hosts that dwelleth between the cherubim. Of course, there were cherubim upon the ark itself. Maybe that is what is being spoken of here. There was a, a cherub each side looking down upon the mercy seat and upon the mercy seat the Shekinah glory of God sat and perhaps that's what's being spoken of or perhaps it is a, a looking forward from that representation to heaven that God himself dwells between the cherubim. But whatever it is, the ark of God has become an item by itself and God is represented to by, by it. And so I suggest that the present service here is concerning the symbol of God's presence and not God's presence itself. They didn't need the ark for the presence of God. It's already been demonstrated, hasn't it? David is crowned. It was God who brought him there. Zion is taken. It was God who gave him the victory. The Philistines are defeated. It was God who gave them the victory once again. And there was no ark. In fact, the last time the ark had had anything to do uh, with the, the work of God was when the sons of Eli, who picked up the ark and took it into battle because they thought that the ark of God would deliver the Philistines into their hands. And the Philistines themselves said, what shall we do? Quit you like men, they said, and they fought the battle. But the ark was taken. And God is really saying here in this portion of scripture too, the ark of God may be something which I have given to you, but don't make it an idol. I may indeed have manifested myself upon that very ark and accepted the offering and the blood which is sprinkled upon it and before it. But the ark itself is not the issue. I am the issue and you have forgotten me. You have forgotten me. You think that the ark is something. The ark has become, and, and the church can become rather than God. And Christianity can become rather than God. And even the Bible itself can become rather than God. Search the scriptures, Jesus said to the people, for in, it, in them you think you have eternal life, but they are they which testify of me. They testify of me. A present service, a symbol of God's presence. And then we see also here the shifting of a pennant. A pennant being a banner. The ark has become a banner. The ark had come back out of the land of the Philistines, as we read in First Samuel chapter 6. And it had been sent up on the new cart. And it had come up to Beth Shemesh. And they had made a sacrifice, at least, and recognized that God was there. And then the men of Beth Shemesh sought to look into the ark and was struck down. But here this has become something which is a, a, a representation, a, a pennant, a, a, an emblem of the presence of God. 
When they looked into it, God struck them. But they've seems they had even forgotten that. And so this present service was just moving a representation, not not moving God and not really accept, acknowledging God in it at all. Again, in 2 Samuel 6, 3, and they set the ark of God upon a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab that was in Gibeah. Uh, the word Gibeah is the word for a hill. Uh, so there are places in Israel called Gibeah. Uh, there were, and uh, whether they're still called exactly the same, uh, probably not, but nevertheless there were places called Gibeah because they were built on hills. But the actual word itself is identical spelling to the word which is a hill. So probably this Gibeah is a hill, the hill of Jabesh Gilead, which is where they went down to. And we'll come to the names in just a moment. So here we have then this shifting of a pennant. David arose, verse 2, with all the people that were with him from Baalah of Judah to bring up from thence the ark of God, whose name is called by the name of the Lord of hosts that dwelleth between the cherubim. A satisfying religion. Religion had become something by itself. And although the religion itself represented God and was surrounding God and God was kind of uh, imperative to it, yet God had been forgotten out of the midst of it. So easy to do. So easy to do. And we need to examine ourselves whether we are walking with God or, or just with the religion. We see, secondly, then, this selfish recklessness. And first of all, when we think about this selfish recklessness, there was a recklessness of just going down to take the ark. There was a disregard of reverence. There was no entreaty of God this time, as I have said, uh, concerning the Lord's pleasure. David doesn't say to the Lord, Lord, I have erected a, a, a tent to bring up the ark of God. May I go and do so? He asks when he is under attack, should I go up against the Philistines? And it should have gone on into this thought, Lord, should I go up? And get the ark of God and bring it to this house that I have made. But no entreaty of the Lord's pleasure. You know, there are many things which are done in religion in these days. In churches across the world. Of different denominations. Things which have no precedent in scripture. Uh, They are not commanded. They are not advised they are not recommended by the lord in any way but they have just come to be what needs to what what the people think ought to be done and the lord is not necessarily in those things Uh, what is all important to us is the presence of the lord there's no entreaty of the lord's pleasure here and neither is there any inquiry into a correct procedure they're not even as good as the philistines They have sunk below the level of the Philistines. They have so become satisfied in themselves and believing that God is going to deliver them whatever they do that they don't ask the question. We read together from 1 Samuel 6. And in the second verse there, it says, And the Philistines called for the priests and the diviners, saying, What shall we do to the ark of the Lord? Tell us wherewith we shall send it to his place. What should we do? David doesn't ask what he should do. 
David doesn't bring any kind of entreaty before the Lord at all. He doesn't ask the Levites what he should do. He doesn't say, is there any procedure that we need to follow to bring the ark of the Lord up? He really ought to have thought that at least. Seeing as the the men of Beth Shemesh had been slain for looking into the ark of God, surely he should have had some care for this ark which has come up out of the land of the Philistines. An ark which had caused even the statues of Dagon to fall and to be destroyed. And in 1 Samuel again, in chapter 6 and verse 15, we read, And the Levites took down the ark of the Lord, and the coffer that was with it, wherein the jewels of gold were, and put them on the great stone. And the men of Beth Shemesh offered burnt offerings and sacrificed sacrifices the same day unto the Lord. Now the men of Beth Shemesh didn't send for the Levites, because Beth Shemesh was a Levite city. So the people were Levites, but they got the men who were, uh, who were the right people to take hold of the ark. Nobody else was supposed to touch the ark. Even when the ark was in the tabernacle originally, when the tabernacle moved, only certain people were allowed to pick up and carry the ark. It was committed to them and to them alone. In those days, when there was great ignorance around these things, Still, it was done the right way. Perhaps the Lord had organized it in such a way that it would be the right way. But nevertheless, it was done the right way, but not this time. And there was a descent to ignorance now. Remember how that when they, were, when they asked the question, the Philistines were, were advised to make a new cart. Take a new cart. Make, indeed, 1 Samuel 6, 7. Therefore, make a new cart. And take two milk kine, on which there hath come no yoke, and tie the kine to the cart, and bring their calves from home. And what do the Israelites do? The ark of God was to be carried. It was to be carried by those men whom the Lord had chosen. But what do they do? They do exactly the same as the Philistines. Verse 3, and they set the ark of God upon a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab that was in Gibeah, a new cart. They set it on a cart. The ark of God was not to be put on a cart. It was to be carried. It was to be covered, and it was to be carried. But they had descended into an ignorance. And again, an ignorance of what the Lord had done before, when he smote the men of Beth Shemesh because they had looked into the ark. They had forgotten those things. They didn't recognize them anymore. We look back at the history of this country and the the fear of the Lord that has been in time past, in times of revival, in times of reformation. We know in the days of the Puritans, there was a great fear of God amongst the Puritans anyway. And the Puritans uh, so feared God that when they were bidden to uh, join with those who would continue on in in the Queen's church, that they refused to do so. Uh, And we read of the great ejection where many of them were put out of their uh, bishoprics uh, and they could no longer serve because they feared God. We will not allow what God has said to be subject even to the laws of the land. But in this day and age, we look at the Church of England and it's practically cast aside the scripture 
and says, no, we, we can accept this and we can accept that. And this is what the, the, the country says in these days. And this is the idea that men have. And we'll just bring all those things in and we can make an argument from it for it. Uh, if we search the scriptures and pick a verse out here and pick a verse out there, we can make some kind of an argument and we can allow these things to continue. The Puritans would not do that. They said, no, we would rather be cast out of our churches. And some, of course, in days prior to that, in the days of Mary, were uh, taken even and burned at the stake because they would not compromise God's word. But in this day and age, the word of God is compromised. Compromised with the world. Oh, here's a good way of getting the gospel across. This is what the world does. Let's take that up and use it. But what does the scripture say? It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. The foolishness of preaching. And there's this descent to ignorance then. And a disdain for magnificence. The magnificence of God. God himself. Now that is, let's be fair, a, a, a very hard concept for us to comprehend we might have some understanding of the of the glory of God and we can use different words to describe a, a God who is eternal. Eternality itself is something which we don't really understand, certainly can't comprehend. Who is almighty. And again, we, we can't comprehend what it is to be almighty. That God can say a word and the stars appear. Millions of stars Stretching, it seems, to eternity as far as we can see. That God only needs to say a word. That God can create such beings as ourselves with all of the intricacy of biology when he speaks a word to turn the dust into biological creatures. It's something beyond our comprehension how God can do this. And of course, there are many in this day and age who would say, well, God didn't do it. That's not how it happened. But... In actual fact, the way they say it happened uh, is pretty much uh, similar. <laughs> that the dust should turn into biological creatures by itself, with no one actually doing it. But there is a disdain for the magnificence of God here. There wasn't a disdain amongst the Philistines. In 1 Samuel 6, 3, they said, If ye send away the ark of the God of Israel, send it not empty, but in any wise return him a trespass offering. Then ye shall be healed, and it shall be known to you why his hand is not removed from you. They offered an offering. And you'll see, as we read through here, the second time when David goes down, the priests who had taken up the ark to carry it, moved six paces, and David offered sacrifices. He'd learned his lesson. But we see here, thirdly, then a shocking rebuke. There are honored men here. The honored men were Abinadab and his sons, Utza and Ahio, who drove the new cart to Samuel 6 3. First of all, we can say concerning their favor uh, that they were favored because the ark had been with them, it had been delivered into the hand of Eleazar. Eliezer, the son of Abinadab. And that's interesting because Eliezer is made of two words, the second of which is Azar 
or Atzah, which is very similar to Atzah. And I think that perhaps we might say, here is a play on words, that his name has been changed after the breach which has come upon him from Eliezer, uh, uh, which means God has helped, to Atzah, which just simply means strength. So here they are favoured because the ark of God had been with them all of this time. You might ask the question, I like to cover these questions because there are things which people ask sometimes in, in verse 2, um, that they arose and went, all with the peop- went w- and went with all the people that were with him from Baal of Judah, uh, that is the lords of Judah, to bring up from thence the ark of God when it was in Kerjath Jirim. There is a couple of verses which can clear this issue up. First of all, there is the, the verse in Joshua 15, verse 60, where we read these words, Kerjath Baal, which is Kerjath Jirim. And in Joshua 15, verse 9, Baalah, which is Kerjath Jirim. And sometimes there are uh, different names which are given to the same place perhaps by locals, perhaps because it had a name before, perhaps because it represented something in that place. And so when it talks here about going to Baalah of Judah, it is speaking of Kerjath Jerim, it is going, they are going to the same place. Uh, The scripture makes that plain for us. And so they come and the the, the ark had been there for a long time. First Samuel 7, 2, it came to pass while the ark abode in Kerjath Jerim, that the, uh, the time was long, for it was 20 years, and all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. So it had been given into the hand of Eliezer, the son of Abinadab. Probably Eliezer is the Atzer who is mentioned here. It had been given into his hand. It's his hand, of course, which touches it later on. But we can say this, that these men were honoured because... They had cared for the ark these 20 years. They knew about the ark. They had looked after it. They had, they, they had uh, protected it, perhaps. Uh, they had kept it, and they had honoured it. And so who better, seeing as they were the ones that, uh, that, that had been chosen for this purpose, to be with the ark as it is carried up. And they are honoured. Now, the thing to say here, perhaps, is this, that David is not honouring the Lord by asking the Lord what he would do. But he's honouring the men who have just simply cared for the ark. And again, isn't this so often what happens amongst humanity, where we honour people, where we have uh, bishops and, uh, and, and the like who are honoured within the church. But what about God? And the archbishops which are honoured, and, uh, and this minister or that minister which is honoured. But what about honouring God? Isn't God the sovereign of the church? Isn't the Lord the one that we are to worship and give the praise to? Should we not have a humility before him? Do they honour these two men? And one goes before the ark. Um, I take that. I, I don't know what, what you think. I'll leave it up to you to, to make your own decision on this. But it says that, that uh, um, <coughs> the one of them, Ohio, forgot his name then for a moment uh, Ohio went before the ark I take that to mean that he drove the cart and so he was at the front of the cart and that Uzzah or Eliezer uh, sat with the ark on the back of the cart that's the way it reads to me but they had a familiarity 
Atza, his strength. And we read that uh, Ahio, who is, means brotherly, and Abinadab, or Abinadab, we read it, Abinadab, Abinadab, my father is willing. And when I was thinking about that name, I thought, hang on, there's the word Nadab there. Nadab and Abihu, who were slain with fire from the altar of God because they offered strange fire before the Lord. Here is a name again, which is connected. Abi, Nadab, Abinadab, my father is willing. A familiarity, they had been 20 years with this ark. It had just become something, a part of the furniture in their house. And you see, Christianity, your faith, your religion can become something which is so familiar that you've lost sight of the God who we are to worship. And we find that here then is made a horrible mistake. A horrible mistake. When Atsa puts forth his hand upon this cart, upon which the ark never should have been, because the oxen shook it. Oxen! I mean, at least it was oxen and not milk cows, I suppose. But the oxen shook it. And Atsa puts forth his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen shook it. And he was just he was just using his strength. But it was his strength, not the Lord's strength. And it was too familiar with those things which were the Lord's, which had not been brought before him. And he stretches forth his hand and he holds the ark so it's not shaken, so it doesn't fall from the cart. Just something which, well, any of us would do. And really something which men would honor and say, well, he did a good job there. You stopped that ark falling off. That would have been a terrible thing if the ark had fallen off the cart and had broken upon the ground. He, he did a good thing, but he didn't do a good thing. He shouldn't have been on a cart. And he shouldn't have been using his strength, as it were, to support the Lord. The Lord is our strength. We're not his. And it's interesting where it is, too. 2 Samuel 6.6, 6, and when they came to Nachon's threshing floor, Adza put forth his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen shook it. The anger of the Lord was kindled against Adza, and God smote him there for his error. And there he died by the ark of God. The threshing floor. Threshing floors come up interestingly in the scripture. If you ever do a Bible study, you want to do a Bible study, look up threshing floors. Here is the threshing floor of Nachon. Nachon means prepared, but the root means to smite. And perhaps so-called as a thresher of wheat, smiting the wheat to separate the chaff from the wheat. Maybe that's why it was called that. But it was Nachon's, and it was a place where Atza was smitten. It was a threshing floor, a threshing floor where the chaff and the wheat are separated. A threshing floor was also the place where the plague of God stopped when David numbered the people. Arona's threshing floor and where the, where the temple of, of, uh, of Solomon was built, the temple of the Lord. But Solomon built the temple there upon that threshing floor. Remember that tremendous love story of Ruth. And how they met together at the threshing floor. That picture of Christ and the church which is revealed there in the book of Ruth. Upon the threshing floor. And it is a place of the threshing floor where we meet with God. And where God threshes to separate the chaff from the wheat. God is doing that with David now. He is separating the chaff from the wheat. And it's Atza who bears the anger of the Lord. 
We might say that Atsa was lost that day, but not necessarily. It wasn't necessarily a man who was lost, his soul cast into hell for what he did, but he lost his life that day, stood before the Lord. And David was afraid that day. And here is the whole issue of the thing, isn't it? The fear of the Lord. Do you fear God? Do I fear God? I often ask the question, where in this day and age is the fear of the Lord? The fear of the Lord. Oh, we hear constantly about the love of God, the grace of God, that God is a loving Father, and that God will always accept us because he loves us. For the scripture has much to say about the fear of the Lord. And indeed, it tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Do we fear God? Do we recognize who he is? What he is able to do? How that Jesus said, don't fear them who, is able, who are able to take your life. But after that, there's nothing they can do. But I will tell you who you should fear. Fear God who is able to take your life and then afterwards cast your soul into, he- into hell. Yea, fear him. Do we have a fear of God? David certainly had it afterwards. Whether he had it before, who can tell? But just to finish with this verse from Matthew 3, verse 11, where John the Baptist, speaking of Christ, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with Holy Ghost and with fire, whose fan is in his hand and he will truly purge his floor that is the threshing floor he will truly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire we should fear god we should fear jesus christ jesus christ is always put across as this meek and and loving character who will just accept anything and I met a woman once who said, well, I don't really like God the Father because he's hard and harsh in the Old Testament. But I love Jesus. Jesus is just so nice. But you turn to the book of Revelation and you find that where the smoke of their torment is arising up, there is the lamb. There is the lamb. The lamb is there. Because Jesus Christ will be there in the judgment The fear of the Lord is the lesson then of this portion of scripture. And that uh, is the one who loses his life for it. But it all comes about because there was no fear of the Lord before their eyes. As they sought to bring up simply the emblem of God. And forgot about God himself.